Welcome back to the Conjugate Chats with your hosts here, John Mark Raspberry, Coach Raspberry at that. I have on here Vinnie Martins of Holy Trinity Episcopal Academy. Okay, okay. I didn't know how to pronounce this. I wasn't even going to try. No, so. you're fine. You're fine. How you doing today, man? Doing great, man. How about you? I'm doing all right. Awesome. Um, so you are the Director of Athletic Performance at Holy Trinity, correct? Correct. Yep. So how's that? How, how, is, how does that work out for you? It's going well so far. Um, recently, prior to this, I was at an NAIA Southwestern College in Kansas, um, and I was there for about five, six months. Um, similar scenario to here where there wasn't a prior strength and conditioning department um, or program even formed. So I kind of had the luxury of being able to come in here to Holy Trinity um, and, you know, build a program straight from the ground up. Um, and that's kind of what I had to do at the college level as well. So it kind of gave me some background and experience on that. Really? So you're, you're the guy, you're like the first one ever. Yep. yep. First one in school history. Yep. That's awesome. So how is it in that realm? So I'm, I'm assuming that's academy that's a, it's a private school. Yes. Yes. Yep. How does that work out for you? Like how different is that from like college to high school or private school, I should say. Yeah, yeah, no, um, that's a great question. Um, so college, I mean, it's pretty similar, um, similar scenario to where, you know, those kids are paying for their schooling. So are these kids at, at a private school, um, at least in that scenario. But as far as, you know, obviously like athletic talent, certain things like that, you know, you get your D1 kids and all that stuff. But what's unique about this is you're working with, you know, sixth graders all the way up until, you know, 18 year old kids. So you know, you have a wide variety of, of athletic, you know, whether it's prowess or just in terms of training ages, um, and they may all be in the same group. So, you know, for instance, my football group got about, I'd say probably close to 10 or 12 kids that are upperclassmen in high school. And then I also have a group of like probably 10 to 12 sixth graders um, just coming in, upcoming seventh graders. Um, so, you know, you kind of have to navigate the room and, 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 you know, work with what you can and, and, you know, work your progressions and regressions. So it, it's an interesting scenario for sure. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's kind of dive into this. So tell us a little bit about yourself. You kind of already started mm-hmm. uh, saying that you came from an AIA college. Uh, so tell us what really like, how'd you got into strength and conditioning and kind of your story of, how you progressed to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so originally where I started, I played division three football down in Vermont. I went to Norwich university for the love of the game. <laughs> so, um, played there for about two months. Um, and throughout high school, I was never the kid that was injured. I was always playing. I was, you know, one of the stronger kids, not the strongest, um, always just love the weight room. So that's kind of where at first the seeds kind of sprouted there. Um, probably soft got to my sophomore year and I just kept having nagging hamstring injuries. And I'm like, man, what the heck's going on? So, um, ended up realizing that, you know, maybe this playing the sport of football wasn't necessarily hundred percent for me. Maybe I need to focus more on, um, you know, schooling in general. So I actually went and switched to, uh, to become a sports medicine major. Um, and you know, that lasted about five months, you know, me, you know, me not understanding coming from high school, um, you know, getting there and I'm like, Oh wait, I have to study. Oh, I got to do this. Okay. So from there, I kind of took the exercise science route and was like, you know what? I love the weight room. You know, let me put two and two together. Um, and I actually started interning there. So that's where I did my first internship. Um, towards the end of the internship, I was actually offered the assistant position. If 
I passed my CSCS and first time around I did not. So from there I was like, okay, where do I go now? Um, so from there, I actually grew up in Orlando, Florida. So what I did was I applied to, uh, there was an opening at Windermere Prep down in Windermere, Florida. Um, so I had the opportunity to work with Micah Kurtz down there. Um, big juggernaut of the high school strength and conditioning. Um, so it was good. I was down there. I kind of learned how high school, you know, kind of worked. And, you know, when I played football, it was the head football coach was the strength coach. Like there was no designated position. So it really opened my eyes to the, to the collegiate level, um, or excuse me, to the high school level. And I thought, wow, you know, this is something I could see myself doing also. So from there, you know, I got to a certain point where I was, I was necessarily the assistant, but you know, I was kind of just interning. I had a part-time job as well. So I wanted to go somewhere. Um, you know, so I asked what's, what's the next step, you know, from an intern or assistant position. And, you know, they recommended, Hey, try to find a graduate assistant position. So from there, I went to William Penn um, down in Oskaloosa, Iowa. Uh, what's great about that school is obviously NAIA, small town, but it gave me the opportunity to work with high school and um, collegiate level. So I was the director for four or five teams at the college level, and I did that in the morning. And then in the afternoons, I would drive to a local high school, and I was the director at the high school as well. So long days, but man, I'll tell you what, though, that was probably the time where I figured out, like, okay, like, both of these are an option collegiate or high school. And, and that for sure was like, okay, this is what I want to do. Um, so from there, I was three classes short of getting my master's and I accepted the uh, head strength and conditioning position down in Southwestern in Kansas. Um, and I plan on being there for, you know, multiple years and, and developing that program. Um, but long, you know, long-term, I wanted to be back in Florida, closer to my family, but also with the high school level. Um, and that's when this opportunity came up and I just kind of jumped on it. So, Gotcha. So I wanted to go back to when you were saying that you were the you were doing collegiate and high school strength and conditioning at the same time. Yep. Like yep. how did you and you were a GA, correct? Correct. Yep. So how did you do that with a school schedule? And then you went in the, the mornings and then you went to high school. How that what did your what did your schedule look like? Oh, so yeah, that, and that was the interesting part. So there were, there were four high schools. We were fortunate enough, our stipend was dependent on how many high schools we had. So we took this high school, which was um, probably 40 minute drive here and back. So my day, 6 a.m. lift, had a, couple, had a couple groups, probably went to about eight o'clock. Um, we all had from about nine to 11 off, and that's when we would have our staff lift. Um, so we'd lift as a group. And then I would have one or two more teams in the afternoon at the college. And then from there, I'm getting on driving 40 minutes to the high school, um, having four or five groups at the high school. And then on Mondays and Tuesdays was our class schedule. So then I'd have to drive home. And literally the minute I get back to the school, I'm in a two hour class. So nights were long. Um, it depended on what your semester was. Sometimes you had an eight to nine and then also a nine to 10. So sometimes you were going eight to 10. Um, some kids I knew had 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. of classes. So it just it just depended on your schedule. Um, luckily, we're the university understood, you know, kind of our situation and how much we were driving. So, you know, if you're a graduate assistant, your your classroom uh, attendance was supposed to be in person. It was mandatory. You had to be there. Um, so they were kind of leaning on, OK, like we understand you're driving from schools like, OK, if you're a few minutes late, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, man, it, it was a grind for about a year and a half, almost two years. So. But gotcha. it, it, it was it was good experience. I pre, I really really enjoyed it. So yeah, I imagine it'd probably be a good experience you had though. They literally full of 
you know, strength and conditioning and training people and training Absolutely. athletes, man. Yep, hey. yep. Um, so why strength conditioning? Why not go to another field? Um, you know, so kind of like, like I was mentioning earlier, I was really my whole dilemma or not dilemma, but kind of like my philosophy was I just wanted to give people opportunities that I didn't have when I was playing sport. Um, wouldn't say that I didn't have, but maybe wasn't at the highest level. Um, you know, when it comes to athletic training and, and, you know, strength and conditioning. So kind of my goal was, Hey, I'm going to get out of the state of Florida. I want to see where, what the rest of the country has to offer. So, you know, going to the Northeast, Midwest, haven't gotten to the West coast yet. Um, but you know, finally, I think I'm here where I need to be, but back to the question, um, you know, it, it, for me, it was, you know, I always enjoyed the weight room. Like that was just something that clicked to me. That's somewhere where you can teach life lessons. You know, you can promote uh, health and wellness and you could do all of it under the same umbrella. Um, and, you know, that necessarily wasn't the, the case with these other fields that I was kind of looking into and kind of me just growing up. Like once I got to college level uh, athletics, I was like, you know what, like, this is what I want to do. This is what I need to do. And at that point, my mind was set like, this is the career field. I want to be in a weight room. I want to dedicate my time to these kids. Um, and that's kind of where, you know, it, it just ended up. So, Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I like asking this question here because I like the responses I get from it. Do you have any hobbies outside of the weight room? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I try to in college when I was, you know, interning and when I was a GA, it was more of a like, hey, when we're done, like outside of here like hey let's lift let's do this for me it's like okay what can i do to kind of get my mind off of it and kind of escape a little bit um for me i love to golf i you know i'd like love to say i do it as much as i want to but um definitely i haven't been in a while so i'm slacking on that um i do like i'm kind of a homebody so for me like a perfect day would be you know maybe if i'm not golfing like i'm home watching netflix sitting on the couch with my wife like just kind of being home. I, that, that's one thing I've always been, I keep my house pretty like relaxing. Like I never have a lot of lights on and all that stuff. And I just like to kind of chill, um, whether it's, you know, reading a book or, or watching Netflix or a movie. Um, you know, that's just kind of what I like to do, but definitely golfing. Golfing's up there for me, for sure. I like asking that question because oftentimes I hear that like, for strength coaches, that the weight room causes more stress than it does relaxing. Like some people go in there to blow off steam or to relax or you know to to like de-stress basically and it's like the complete opposite for strength coaches you know we walk in the weight room and it's tense it's like yep well yep you you, you know you got your coach's eyes you see the weights on the floors you see things that are not in the proper spot and you, you know that just automatically it like triggers you almost and it you're does, like, it and does. it stresses you out already and like you have to get away from the weight room to even relax so yep. I like asking that question because I, I like hearing that answer. And I also like hearing like what other coaches do. Like Monty, he talked about golfing. He talked about fishing. Aaron, he talked about like um, reading on his own time and stuff like that. So I like asking that question. For sure, here. yeah. Um, what is your coaching philosophy like? So for me, like when I have a coaching philosophy, I separate my coaching and my training philosophy. For me, obviously, health and wellness, physical, be physical well-being, like that's all important to me. But especially in the past where I've been, the most important thing for me is I'm trying to create better sons, daughters, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters. You know, I'm trying to promote um, 
you know, just overall, just being a better citizen, being a better human, um, treating each other kindly. Um, for me, it's, you know, not only are we teaching, you know, how to move well, but I want you to be able to go to the classroom and be somebody that is always pushing somebody in the classroom to be better. You know, I want somebody that, you know, when you're going shopping, you're always taking your cart all the way back to the, to where it belongs. to so the cart return, not just leaving it right by the spot, right? It's the little things. It's, it's not, you know, not teaching everybody to try to be perfect, but just, you know, as long as everyone's putting an effort, everyone's pushing each other, I'm just trying to promote overall um, a better well-being in general. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, what are your goals for the field of strength and conditioning? What is something that you would like to see, I guess? That's a better question. Um, in terms of in, in my career or just in general with the field? In general with the field? Um, I think necessarily, and it starts with us, but I do think um, – what, what should be seen is at least our profession should be looked at in a different sort of light um, in terms of, you know, not only pay scales, like everybody complains about, man, that's for me, that's like what Twitter is all about. People to go on there and, and complain about pay scales, which I mean, I get it, you know, time and place, time and place. But right, um, right. for me, it's just in general, like I feel like in, in the field, we're kind of looked at as, OK, like, you know, we're coming in, we're the weights guy, like, OK, get in the weight room you know, all these coaches come in and they're like, all right, put as much weight on the bar as you can. Like, don't, don't stop till you fail a rep. And it's like, you know, I want us as a profession to kind of be seen as like, in general, like the same mind of like an athletic trainer. Okay. Not necessarily our principles and philosophies the same, but at least like, okay, you know, they know what they're doing. They went to school for this. Like they've, they've studied, they've been around it. Like, and, you know, see more coaches be handoff, handoffish. Um, I think, I've been fortunate enough to wherever I've been, like these coaches were like, okay, like weight room is, is where you're at. Like, that's your thing. And, you know, same vice versa. Like I, you know, we wouldn't go on the football field and tell coaches which plays to run. Um, right. So I think obviously, unless you're an assistant coach as well, but um, you know, pushing, pushing through with that, it's like overall in general, like anything from parents, athletes, coaches, um, you know, especially the people you work with, right. The higher ups too you know, just to see it as like, okay, like this is a real career field. This takes time, effort, dedication. Um, and, you know, just having that mentality in general, I think is what I want to see going forward. It's funny you say that because when I talk to Monty about this, he goes, it, it starts with the title, you know, it starts with the very title of yourself. You know, do you want to go see the athletic trainer or do you want to go see the band-aid guy? Right. You know, it's right. having that mentality of, do you want to go see you know, the director of strength and conditioning, or do you want to go see the weights guy? Right. Yeah. You know, no, absolutely. I think that, I think that's a very interesting point and something that's kind of recurring now. When I talk to like you and Monty and some of these other guys, they're like, I don't want to be called a weights guy. You know, it's cool and everything, but I don't want to be called a weights guy. I want to be called, you know, X, Y, Z yep. director of human performance, director of strength conditioning, director of athletic performance. So I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, reoccurrence that I've been hearing, you know, from different coaches. Absolutely. Yep. It's important. Um, what are your philosophies that drive your program design? Yeah. So I, I've know, like, especially looking at some of the other interviews you've done already too. I know a lot of them mentioned the tier system. I'm also pretty big on the tier system. Um, having been to three different programs, they've all been kind of centered around that. Um, I know the previous job, William Penn, um, where I did my graduate assistant, they were a tier system and they took a little bit of Joe Ken as well as a little bit of Mike Boyle and kind of mashed those principles together. 
Um, and that's, that's similar. That's kind of what I ran with. Um, I've also ran five, three, one I've ran conjugate. I've ran a little bit of APRE. Um, I like them all to be honest. And I, and I do take a little bit of, you know, each here and there and kind of just make it a big melting pot. Um, even some bodybuilding principles, you know, some, some high rep, high sets, um, you know, that doesn't mean we're going in there and, you know, crushing arms every day, but you know, every once in a while you throw them a bone, but, um, I think just being as well-rounded as I can big on the tier system, full body workouts. Um, you know, we're not doing upper here, you know, within a workout, we're going to do some upper, some lower, some full body, a lot of compound movements and a lot of three-dimensional movements. So transverse plane, um, horizontal, frontal, all that stuff. Um, that's kind of what drives my program. Gotcha. And, um, it's funny that you mentioned like Mike Boyle and having a little bit of here and having a little bit of here and having a little bit of here. There's always like a time and a place for everything. Absolutely. And I think that's something that us as a field got to recognize. Like something that I do is totally different than something you would do, but it could be justified. You know, as long as we're not sitting there trying to make them, you know, these freaking bodybuilder looking guys, like bodybuilders are not athletes. Athletes are athletes. You train athletes. You don't train bodybuilders. Right. And but there are principles in bodybuilding that are so important for your strength and conditioning program. Yeah, you want them to be bigger, faster, and stronger. Yes. But at the same time, I mean, you're not gonna sit there and go a full year of bodybuilding. Right. And you know, there's always a time and place for everything. So I think that's kind of an important point for people to know. Uh, what are your non-negotiables in your program? Oh man, this is a good one. I actually saw that question and I was like, you know what? I need to start thinking of that. Um, non-negotiables for, uh, for one, we're on time. Now this one was kind of huge for me in college. You know, you're, you're there, you're driving, like you have no excuse here. Parents are usually the ones that drive the kids here. So I'm, you know, depending on person, I'm a little lenient on it. Definitely more lenient than I was in college, but you know, we're respectful of each other's time. You know, I don't want you walking in 20 minutes late to a workout. You know, it's, it's either we're there on time. If it's two to three minutes. Okay. Like you're still going to have to, you know, do the full warm up. You may be behind a little bit, but then you're jumping in, um, definitely collars on bars. And then most important one for me, I probably should have said this one first, but you leave the, you leave the place better than you found it. So when you come in every single dumbbell, every single clip, every single weight has a spot where it goes in the weight room. When you're done, it needs to go back. It needs to be clean and everything goes back. they built this brand new facility. So it's, it was about a four to $5 million facility. They built it a year prior to me coming on staff. Um, and when I got here, to be honest, and it's, and it's no offense to anybody here on campus, not saying anything bad, but it looked like it had been here for about four or five years um, just because it hasn't been monitored. You know, kids were just kind of coming in whenever they could. And, and, you know, whether it's some of the racks are chipped, um, some of the jammer arms, the paint's coming off. Some of the weights are scratched and, you know, just normal wear and tear. Um, and, you know, for me, it's like, if we're, if we're going to have this nice equipment, we've been fortunate enough to get it. Like we're going to take care of it. We're going to make it last. So I think for me, just making sure that that place is treated like your home, you know, everything gets picked up, everything gets put back. So. Right. Absolutely. Uh, weight room's kind of our home for yeah. a little bit, you know, Absolutely. you know, home away from home. So yeah, you, you definitely want to keep things organized in the weight room. What are your highest priorities with any sports team. So you're given a sports team. What is the highest priority? Highest priority for me is uh, movement, uh, movement wellness, essentially. So, you know, can, can you hinge properly? 
you know, for me, that's my, my most important move. And that's the one I've seen at least athletes have the trouble with most at any level, whether, you know, they're in the middle school, high school, or they're in a collegiate program. Um, being able to hinge, being able to squat and, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, there's a million definitions of squat, right? For me, I want to be able to get parallel, which I've based parallel off of knee crease and hip crease, even with each other. Okay. So be able to get there, you know, feet flat on the ground in a good body position. So that that's essentially what we're looking for. Um, and then as well as try to, it, you know, right now I don't have necessarily have the technology to measure it, but at least being able to um, make sure that our, our limbs are in equilibrium. Um, you know, that's why I do a lot of single leg training as well, uh, as well as bilateral. Um, you know, we want to make sure that there's no kind of differences between the two, especially, you know, when we get on field and we start uh, training as well. So for me, it's, you know, hinging, squatting, um, jumping and landing for me. Um, I think that's the most underappreciated or, or most uh, paid attention to aspect of an athlete is, okay, yeah, you can jump high, but do you know how to land properly? You know, especially single leg, you know, if we're, if we're running, I mean, running, you're, you're basically bounding or, or sprinting on, you know, one leg, you're essentially putting body weight on one leg. Can you handle that? You know, can we jump? Can we depth drop down and land on one leg and control our body? So for me, re really, it's the hinging, squatting, and being able to decelerate our body weight. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, these next couple questions are some of my personal favorite just because of the, uh, of the fact that I like hearing what people's thought processes are behind all this. How do you motivate athletes? Great question. Great question. So right off the bat, I think having kind of like a, an authoritative kind of, you know, right off the bat, this is what we're doing. We're lining up. We're ready to roll. Starting off kind of stern because I think it's easier to back off than if you came in and you try to be friends with every athlete. And then now you're trying to be authoritative and they're like, oh, like, what is this guy talking about? So for me, I've seen that that initially kind of has the buy in, um, especially coming off. It's a different voice than hearing their coach all the time. So they come in and they're like, okay, like, oh, wow. Okay. This person means business. So we need to lock in. And, you know, at first, depending on the age group, you know, younger kids, they don't necessarily always, you know, react well to that at first. Okay. But then once you're in there, like I always try to get people with a prank every day. So each group, I'm always like, Hey, your shoes untied. And then they look down and, and their shoes are tied. And for me, it's kind of funny. They may not think it's funny, but you know, it kind of gets them chuckling a little bit. And then next time they come in, I'm like, Hey, your shoes untied. And they're like, no, no, no. Like I know this trick. Um, little things like that, you know, walking in and then also explaining. I like to explain things to people. So, you know, hey, we're doing this. Here's the reason why. Now, am I getting overly scientific about it? Sometimes I know in the collegiate level I have because some of them are exercise science majors and they're actually curious or, you know, do personal training on the side. They're like, hey, well, why do you do that? And it's like, OK, here, you know, we can get into depth with it. Um, Creating buy-in and then also, you know, having, having a set of standards and, and sticking strong to it. You know, a lot of times it's, you come in and, and at least for me and my experience, when I've had, you know, a football coach doing our, our weight training, it was always, okay, here are the lifts. It was never like, all right, this is how you clean up. Hey, this is how you get set up. You know, our warm up. this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. It was always, Hey, just warm up and do it. Cause I'm the coach. Um, so I think little things like that, having buy-in, explaining reasoning, you know, being friendly, but not over-friendly. I think there's something that crosses the line, like, hey, like, I'm not your high school friend, right? I'm your coach. You know, we can be, we can be cordial and, you know, have some conversations, but at the end of the day, like, I'm not, I'm not a, a high school kid. So I think kind of right. pushing that right. as well, you know, help, helps out with that buy-in. Yeah, absolutely. And 
you go back to you know explaining the why behind stuff why do we do the things that we do and i had kids today we did those iso jefferson split squats and i'm just kind of progressing them you know i'm not putting 225 pounds on the bar we're kind of progressing as we go right and um kid asked me he's like why why are we even doing these you know this is this feels weird you know whatever I was like, well, it's tendon health, it's, you know, core trunk disability, it's, you know, this, it's this, and this. Right. So, I mean, being able to rattle off some of that stuff, be able to say, okay, we're doing this because, bam, you know, bam, bam, bam. You know, I think that's huge. And it, it definitely does build buy-in mm-hmm. when you're a coach because they're like, oh, okay, you know, fine. You know, <laughs> right. you get over-scientific, and it's like, okay, I get it, that you understand what we're doing, you know. Right. So, yeah, absolutely. This next question is oftentimes my favorite. I, I say that a lot, but it really is because I like the question. How do you build mental toughness in athletes? So, no, that's, that's an awesome question. To me, it's not something that it, – it's a little bit of both. So it's not something you just have or you don't. And it's also not something that necessarily you could say, okay, we're going to do this drill and we're going to improve your mental toughness. For me, it's understanding, okay, this is going to be hard and you're not going to enjoy it, but we're going to push through it because on the other side, there's a reward, right? Whether that's, you're going to become stronger, you're going to become faster. You're going to be a better group, a better unit. Right. And I, and I tell my athletes all the time, I'm like, if you go into a weight room and you're doing stuff that you always 100% want to do, you're in the wrong place. Like we're, you know, we're going to do the back squats. We're going to, we're going to get some barbell curls in. Okay, but you're going to have to do this other stuff. And I want you to trust and put your trust in me that, you know, I know what I'm doing and it's going to benefit you. Um, That's an excellent point. So, you know, and that's and, you know, you go through and it's like in football, too, or or in any sport, really, your coach is like, all right, on the line. We're going to condition. And, you know, it's like just running and running and running and running and running, you know, until kids are puking. And it's like, well, you're puking because you're not mental tough. And it's like, no, that's that's not. That's, that's something physical. That is not mental toughness, right? So I think putting people in spots where they have to overcome adversity, I think is, is a great way to improve it. But at the same time, you can't sit there and be like, oh yeah, we, you know, we improved our mental toughness. Well, we talk about measurements all the time. How do you measure that? How do you know you, 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 know, you improved your mental toughness? So it's kind of you know, one of those questions where it's like, are we truly like, de- can you develop it? Or is it just something that you kind of have to just ingrain in yourself and try to teach yourself? Right. And how I kind of measure mental toughness is like I'm a football coach and a strength coach, kind of that dual role. So I do offensive line and then do the strength conditioning for the football team here that I'm at, at the high school that I'm at. And kind of the way I know that the linemen are mentally tough is that I'll sit there and scream at them. And I'm kind of telling myself, I, I know that I'm kind of sitting there, you know, being, right. being the football coach, you know, screaming you know going off whatever and their eye contact with me saying you know yes sir and then they move along you know they don't say main or bruh or anything like that yes sir and then they they move along i mean they get the point and they move along they don't sit there and you know this is stupid you know all this other stuff they're saying you know yes sir and then get back to what they're doing so that's kind of how I would, I measure kind of mental toughness and, uh, you know, strength and conditioning Twitter kind of 
says, well, this is how you build it and this is how you build it. But every person is so different. And I got different answers about how they approach mental toughness. Right. And your point is actually correct. I, I love it. Uh, what are some of your main lifts that became staples in your program? No, great. That's another great question. So for me, definitely barbell RDL. Um, obviously, you know, I enjoy a good heavy dumbbell or, or single, even dumbbell single leg or even barbell single leg. But I, I think bilateral, two feet on the ground, loading it up, obviously good technique, but, you know, getting heavy on those, I think that and a good barbell overhead press, I think are my two favorites. Um, used to be big on the bench just because I've always enjoyed bench, but I think a lot of times, you know, kids had great bench presses, but their overhead was not very good and their shoulders ended up being pretty bad. Um, and kind of when we flipped the script on that, where we're saying, you know, their bench was still heavier, obviously it's just going to, it's naturally going to be, but when we started working that more overhead movements, they, they kind of got a little, you know, whatever they had that was aching them here in the shoulder, just magically cleared up. And it's like, Oh, wow. You know, you know, they're getting full range of motion on that. So I think definitely RDL overhead press and honestly, broad jumps, I think have been huge. Um, you know, and, and just the benefits of, I talked about deceleration and, you know, being able to control your body weight for me, you know, whether it's holding a med ball or banded, whatever it is, like just working on that explosion from the hips, I think is huge. And I think that also kind of helps segue, um, the, uh, RDL as well, you know, working on that hip extension. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. And that kind of ties in into this kind of next question here. What is your approach to speed and agility training? Absolutely. So working, working the backside as well. Um, definitely working that posterior chain. But when it comes to sprinting um, and certain things like that, I do like linear work. I, I do do it. I don't stay away from it. But most of my work, honestly, has switched over to curvilinear running, um, you know, whether it's side to side or angular running, um, as opposed to just that linear stuff, but also huge on deceleration. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to sprint, but then once you reach a certain point or you react to a stimulus, whistle, clap, whatever it is, okay, how can you decelerate? How, how good are you at slowing your body weight down? Um, also like, you know, when we're running all these sprints and all that stuff, a lot of times, you know, there, there comes a certain point, maybe not in general in their career, but in the session, where they've kind of reached that top speed, they've reached that max velocity. So anytime we do linear sprint, it's very rare that we go high in number. Um, obviously tempos, certain things like that, a little bit different, but if we're truly sprinting and able to control our body weight and slow down, that's how you know that, you know, in my opinion, that we can control our body weight. I know Monty kind of talked about it in his where, you know, a Ferrari being super fast, if it doesn't have good brakes, you know, it's, it's, it's not a healthy, uh, essentially a car, but person. And, you know, decelerating, you know, broad jumps, certain things like that, but also sprint, decelerate, right? Change in direction. Not only that, but I like the curvilinear running. Um, I use football as an example just because I played football, but really any sport, we rarely run in a straight line. I mean, it's usually angled side to side. Um, I've been a huge fan of kind of like the staggered sprint or the, or the snake looking uh, sprinting as well and eventually timing it. Um, and I think that's, you know, some pretty big staples as well. As far as like any kind of, you know, reaching in a little bit of here, reaching in a little bit of there. I also do like the uh, Tony Holler as well. I use XPE as well. I like that as well. Um, and honestly, just kind of taking a little bit of here and there from coaches stuff. I'm big on stealing exercises from Instagram and Twitter. I, I love doing that. Um, hate the word steal. For me, it's kind of just 
I use it as motivation, you know, in terms of just taking a little bit here, a little bit of there. So that's kind of my philosophy on that. Hey, nothing, there's nothing new out there anymore. No. You know, it's, we're just reinventing the wheel. And I made the point, I think the last two episodes of, you know, there's nothing really new out there. We're all reinventing the wheel at this point. Yep. And you made a great point about sports not being in a linear line, you know, Rarely are we ever going to be in a very straight line. You know, we we cut, we jump, we you know go left, you know right, up, down, whatever. We're very rarely in a straight line. Do we need it? Yes, but and I, that's something that I've done personally as well. Kind of gotten away from linear and start putting in curve sprints. Uh, I call it a weave drill when you go that snake. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of refreshing to see like, like all these other coaches are doing. The exact, the exact same thing. You know, we're kind of going in that direction as well. So it's kind of refreshing. Um, do you inter- sorry? Do you integrate technology into your sports performance program? So as of right now, I don't. Um, I was lucky enough to create a, a wants and needs list um, and, and got approved for pretty much everything that was on my needs immediately. So we will be integrating uh, the jump mat. Um, as well as Brower timing system. So now we can kind of start timing our 10s, our 40s, um, anything like that. We're, you know, doing the, um, the weave run as well, uh, circle runs, anything like that. Anything we can time, we're going to try to time. Now, we're not just going to time for the sake of timing. You know, we're going to have a calculated system, um, know, understand exactly what we're calculating. Um, and then eventually looking to kind of integrate something, whether it's um, strength, strength rack or if it's team builder, haven't decided yet, but eventually down the road, I'd like to get to that as well. Um, for gotcha. me, though, starting out with a program, it was like, okay, the, before I even touch technology, like they, they need the basics ingrained in them. They need to understand the, the whys and the hows of the program. And then eventually, as we get through, you know, we could start, you know, testing and using technology and getting and getting super fancy with it. So, Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, there's some coaches out there that really – gotten their hands on technology and I mean like that velocity based training systems and right. you know jump mats and the software and all this stuff. I would love to, you know, eventually get team builder or, you know, rock coach or something something out there. Right. But uh, that's definitely something that I think has really stepped up the game of strength and conditioning, being able to have all that technology at your fingertips just to yeah, in the way room, absolutely. So the next one, two, three, four, five. We're kind of flying through here, but um next five here are really personable. More personable than uh or well, I shouldn't say more personable, but they're personable. And I think this it's kinda of going away from training and it's just like your personal thoughts. So what advice would you give a young strength coach or athlete that wants to go into strength and conditioning or sport performance? So first and foremost, I would say get as get as uncomfortable as possible. So, you know, whether that's maybe potentially relocating or, you know, in, in terms of just working with teams, you've never like sports you've never played with. Like when I was a graduate assistant, I had to work men's and women's bowling. And I'm like, I've I, what? <laughs> so, you know, just understanding the ins and outs of the sport, um, you know, just getting as well versed as possible um, Two, don't. Like when you're, when you're looking for something to learn, something to start all these philosophies, don't try to learn a little bit about everything at once, 
find one and just become as good as you can in that niche. What, you know, whether that's something that the, the strength program you're interning with already has, or if you're just kind of on your own, you know, find a philosophy, find a, a periodization and kind of lock in and not per se become an expert, but until you're comfortable, like coaching and leading a group with that principle, then you can kind of say, okay, let me dip my toe in this one over here. Cause I think early on in my career, um, you know, going to multiple different schools at once, like it was a lot of like, okay, we do this, we do that. And then it's like, okay, well, I just learned this for six months. Now I have to kind of flip the script and learn this. And it's, it could be overwhelming a little bit. Um, so I think understanding that there are other philosophies, but you'll learn those as the time comes. Like, you know, if you're in a good program with it, with a good director, like they'll take your time and, and help you and walk you through it. And, that, and that's kind of the goal. So, um, you know, be uncomfortable. Uh, don't, you know, don't overwhelm yourself. And then three, like really look into the, pro into the profession. Like a lot of people come in interns and they're just like, Oh, like, you know, I'll just show up like five minutes before a session and, you know, I'll do the warm up, yada, yada. And it's like, no, like you have to show up 30 minutes before the session. You know, you got to set everything up. You got to make sure that, you know, you're ready to roll. There's a lot of, you know, things about the coaching aspect. Um, I'll say my internship, I learned so much. I think I've learned the most on just on floor coaching than X's and O's. You know, for us, it was he, he wanted our shirt tucked in all the time, something to separate us from the athletes, uh, even just body position like you're you know how you look on the floor. You know, if your arms are crossed, if you're leaning on something shows your shows disinterest. That's that's not what we're looking for. We want to be engaged all the time. So that and finding a coaching voice. Um, so I would say first and foremost, just to kind of round it up, be get uncomfortable um, Two, make sure you're not getting overwhelmed in, in what you're learning. And then three, develop coaching etiquette. So don't, don't even dive into a book yet, right? Just learn about how do I, how am I on the floor? How can I assist? And how do I look like I'm engaged and ready to roll? That's kind of an interesting perspective that you gave on like coaching etiquette, you know, cross your arms, leaning on something, whatever, uh, you know, when I did personal training for a little bit, they told us not to cross our arms. And, you know, I was just like, you know, yeah, I, I never understood it like that, or I never really understood why. Right. They just told us, you know, don't do it. I said, like, okay, you know, whatever, kind of move along. But that makes a whole lot of sense now. Mm -hmm. that, yeah, absolutely. That makes a whole lot of sense. Where do you see yourself in about two to three years, five years, and 10 years? Um, honestly, two to three. I see myself in this exact position, um, you know, uh, one thing is I wanted to kind of get the staff growing a little bit, uh, right now it's just myself. Um, so hopefully you get a couple interns, um, you know, potentially an assistant, that'd be great. Um, and then also like right now there's a, he's, he's part, he's contracted to the school, uh, athletic trainer, but he's offsite. So he's in really like in the summer, he's never, he's not here unless we need him. Um, cause he, you know, he works another job. So I think having, and develop a, a athletic training staff that, you know, is in addition to this staff as well. Like I want to be a well-rounded unit, uh, as far as that goes with, you know, communication between injuries and all that stuff. Um, and then about what was two to three years, what was the next one? Five years and then 10. And then probably by five, I also want to be a resource for local high schools. So hopefully growing, um, to where in the summers we can open up to you know, multiple schools that can come in as well and just get as many kids as we can here. 
and just get, you know, get the summer rolling with that. And then in 10 years, um, I still, honestly, I see myself like this is my last job. Like, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to develop this program. Um, and in 10 years, I want to have potentially uh, growth in the facility. So I know this facility is brand new, but also kind of extending it a little bit. Um, there is some room for growth and improvements. Um, and then as well as just kind of, you know, be able to be a resource, you know, the, the Montes, the, the Micah Kurtzes, you know, stuff like that to where people are reaching out and saying, hey, like, how do I do this? How do I do that? Um, and, you know, that doesn't just come just because you're on Twitter tweeting, right? It comes because right. you put in the hours, you put in the time, um, you know, you put great content out. And that's, and that's kind of the goal, just to kind of be a resource for other coaches who are new and upcoming in the field. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's kind of why I started the conjugate chats, you know, hear from coaches like you and Monty, you know, I got people lined up from, you know, the private sector to uh, private schools to high, you know, public high schools and the collegiate, you know, I think, uh, yeah, Aaron, he was a, uh, or is a D2 coach right now. So, awesome. you know, kind of hearing all these resources and stuff like that. So, yeah, absolutely. Having, being the big, you know, resource for the, the field of strength and conditioning. Um, as a coach, what are your biggest weaknesses and strengths? Um, so right now, I think my strengths, I think, are developing that buy-in. Um, and then having, you know, gone to two programs now where it's kind of, yeah, there's no there's no template, there's no layout, like there's been nothing before. So now you have an opportunity to kind of go in and, and, you know, hone that in and, you know, develop it from the ground up, which I think is a great opportunity. And it's also a, a great challenge. Um, so I think that's something that I consider a strength, um, a weakness. I think since having to do that, um, you know, if I had to come in to a program where they've already like had all this training and done all this stuff, and now you're just the next coach coming in, I think, being able to kind of build off of that initial program and then kind of leading it into, um, you know, what your philosophies are and your, and, um, and kind of, you know, your, your coaching abilities and your strengths. Um, I think for me, that would be a weakness just in terms of, you know, to be honest, I haven't had to do it as much. It's always just kind of been a clean slate, which is, you know, like I said, a great opportunity. So I think just being cognizant of, you know, what we've learned before and, and, you know, having a, unteach bad habits, um, which you still do even in a new program, but you know, it's oh, yeah. not as intense. Uh, what are your top five coaches that have influenced you in the strength and conditioning field? So first and foremost, I'll, I'll honestly, I'll go in order because to me, they've all been influential in their own way. Uh, first one was Greg Cox. He is currently the uh, director at Colby College in Maine. Um, he was the he was the head strength coach at Norwich University, and he was the one that taught me, you know, the coaching etiquette and, you know, kind of building that buy in before you even touch the X's and O's. He taught he did teach me a lot of X's and O's, but it was also like that was first and foremost. Um, and then after that was Micah Kurtz, who's the director at Windermere Prep currently. Um, his wasn't so much as like, hey, let's sit down. Let's let's go over this, you know, this method or anything like that. It was more of like me just watching him like I've I didn't know what high school strength and conditioning was about and I mean he has that thing down to a side like it is a it is a just kind of like Monty it's a freak factor like it's just you know <laughs> kids coming in and like it's just rolling through like there's so much going on and just the calmness of like how he handles all of that is just it's to me it was impressive um and then third was uh Ryan Ho he is currently the assistant at um Oh, he's going to kill me. Oh, St. Thomas University in Minnesota. 
Um, he was the director at William Penn to start. Um, and he was kind of where that was where I first got a taste of like collegiate and high school, kind of that mixing. And that's where I really got big into tier. Um, I know, uh, Greg Cox also did tier, but this was the first time it was like, okay, a little bit of Joe Ken, a little bit of, um, Mike Boyle as well. And it was like, you know, we had sit down staff meetings where we like, okay, you get a presentation on linear, you know, periodization. Yours is on this, yours is on that. And you kind of present it. And to me, that was like huge. That was a lot of learning. He, we did an exercise with him that I'll still remember to this day. It was go up on the board. You have three minutes and you have to write like a full body lift for baseball off season. Go. That was it. That was all you got. And to me, that, that exercise helped me a lot. Like obviously in the real world, you have more than three minutes, but just kind of putting that pressure on you really teaches you to find like what your niche is and, and kind of what your base values are. Um, and then uh, the fourth and fifth, honestly, they're probably going to be people that I've truly never met in person, but I kind of just saw them on social media and, and kind of saw what they're about. But first one is Mike Boyle. Um, for me, it was necessarily like, obviously he gets a lot of heat for some of his takes saying, you know, I don't do this. I don't do that, which, you know, that's, everybody has those. It's, it's, you know, it's just what for right. you, like we were talking about earlier. Um, but truly like reading, you know, I read his functional uh, strength and conditioning book. I thought that was awesome. Um, you know, it, it, and for me, it kind of opened my eyes because, you know, w- when you grow up and playing the sport of football, it's always like, okay, powerlifting, you know, lift as hard as you can. And it kind of opened my eyes to just other philosophies other ways of thinking truly. Um, and then lastly, I would probably say Joe Ken as well, just because that was the other kind of person we based here off of and, and kind of seeing where he went and, you know, what he did and, and his philosophies and, you know, just the experience he has in general, I just kind of do my best to kind of be a sponge every time I see a podcast or read a book on him. And those five honestly are probably the most influential I've had. Yeah, absolutely. I love my Boyle's takes. I love the heat from Twitter. You know, some people say it's kind of annoying and it can be at times, but like, I love it. I love it. It's like free entertainment sometimes. I'm just like, how is Twitter free at this point? 100%. 100%. Yep. Uh, last question here. Who is a coach that you think everyone should be following on Twitter or Instagram? Ooh, that is tough. That is tough. Cause there are, like, like I said, there's so many influential coaches. Um, I know. So in terms of just in general training, um, oh man, that is, that is a tough one. Um, I would honestly say probably Cody Hughes is a good one that comes to mind. Um, I know he just recently took a hiatus from Twitter, but in terms of like, he'll post a video and then literally detail it down, like detail it exactly how, you know, Hey, this is why I'm doing it. You know, not just, Hey, look at this. This is awesome. We did this. No, this is why I'm doing it. I know Brandon pig's a good one as well. Um, he's a name that comes up there. Um, uh, Brandon Herring's another good one. I mean, I can go on list and list. Um, I know there's, and there's a, a lot of tweets out there that have like literally tagged all coaches like, Oh, this coach you should be following. Um, just kind of experimenting, you know, like even if you follow my Twitter and kind of go through, you know, who I follow and everything um, that's another good way too. but that's kind of what I do. I find somebody that has a lot of good content and then I click on there, who are they following? And, you know, that's where I find a lot of my other ones too, to click on there. Um, but in terms of like one coach, I can't really just sum it down to one. There's, there's so many good resources and, you know, like we talked about having a niche, some have a niche in other areas, some are speed, some are okay. Weight room, mobility, it just depends what you're looking for. Gotcha. 
Were you at NHSSEA's conference in Nashville? I was, I was. And I think I like towards the end, I kind of, I saw you like at the end, but I had to leave uh, Saturday, like midday. I had a flight. Uh, my flight was about three, so gotcha. I couldn't stay the whole day. So I did gotcha. bounce early. So you didn't see Cody Hughes presentation that night? I that did Saturday not. Night? No, I did not. Man, that was probably some of the best information that I've ever seen. That's awesome. And some of his philosophies, because he was talking about having like, I think six or eight second eccentrics with some of his lifts. Mm. I'm like, man, that's crazy. Yeah. And I was sitting there thinking, I was like, you know, let, let's try it. Let, and that's what we're doing right now. You know, kind of some preseason stuff, mm-hmm. some tendon health, some eccentric work and stuff like that. But I'm like, you know, I, I just never thought about that. Right. And, you know, you talk about Brandon Pig, and he's coming on the pod later on, um, I think, either next week or the week after. So he's getting interviewed as well, and he's big on tendon health. Right. He will go right. on rant. He went on rant, I think, at NatCon between sessions about tendon health. Um, like you remember that little notebook they gave you? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. He he was sitting there like drawing stuff and telling someone about tendon health. Like just in the middle of a session, I'm like, that's awesome, man. This this dude is like, he's he's so intelligent. I can't wait to do a pod with him and kind of pick his brains oh, a little absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure that's gonna be a good one. Yep. Absolutely. Well, man, uh, uh, Vinny, it was great to have you on the pod here. Um, and that was another episode of the Conjugate Chats with your host here, John Mark Raspberry, Coach Raspberry. That's and in the name of strength, stay strong and have a day today. See you next time. Appreciate you, Benny. Yep, appreciate you. Thank you.